this week I was uh, processing all we learned last week about validating our focus. And so each day I'd get up in the morning and say, Lord, I want you today to show me what it is you want me to see. What should I focus on? Well, on Wednesday night as I was going to bed, I said, Lord, I, I really want to hear you speak so clearly to what it is that I need to not miss because it's so easy to miss things in life. So Thursday morning, my phone beeped early uh, with a text from a, a gentleman I have not spoken to in 10 years. And my first thought is, maybe this is my moment to be able to hear God speak in a certain way. And so I responded back to his text. He said, hey, is there any chance we could have lunch today? I'm in town. Lives in, the guy lives in New York City, head of an evangelical seminary. Haven't seen him in a decade. And said, yes, I want to have lunch with you. So I went to pick him up. We went to lunch. And it's interesting because sometimes we don't know what it is that's going to come at us until we get right in the middle of it. So right in the middle of it, he begins to tell the story of his daughter. His daughter, educated well there in New York City, with a great education, became an educator. But in the middle of becoming a teacher, she began to realize something. The one thing she wanted to do the most was find those most at risk and bless them the most. And so as an educator, she realized she had limitations of what she could do, how she could speak into their lives, how she could guide their lives. And so as this dad began to share... This gentleman with three PhDs began to share the tenderness of the heart of his daughter. And he began to share how in the midst of all that she was going through, she decided instead of just being a teacher, I'll go back to law school and I'll become a lawyer and I'll fight for these kids. Well, you can imagine his dad, the dad, the educated father said, oh yes, that's great. But let me tell you, you need to apply to several law schools. You don't know, no, I'm applying to one. That's where I want to go. Well, the dad said, don't you know how the process works? You might get rejected. I'm applying to one. And so she went in, applied to that one law school, got in, got in, got her degree. All the time, the dad astonished by what's transpiring with the life of his daughter. And as she graduated with her degree, she knew she had to clerk in a law office with somebody. And so she began to apply to clerk in New Jersey in a wonderful town called Newark, New Jersey. If you're familiar with that town, you realize lots of at-risk children there. And so she went in and she interviewed several judges. The only, the only judge available for her to clerk with was a civil judge. She told the judge, I don't want to do civil law, I want to do family law. He said, well, I want you, this fits you, you need to help me, come in my court. Well, she had no other option. So she said, okay, I guess I'll do that one and I'll get ready for what I'm going to do. The next week, the judicial system changed in New Jersey. His court became a family court instead of a civil court. So... Imagine, here is a young lady who just has in her heart a desire to meet those at the greatest point of their risk. And so, it gets better, by the way. As she, as she begins to interview by way of what she will do with her life, she goes into an interview process with a particular uh, system that, that takes her through a whole day of review, asking her different questions. How would you handle this? How would you handle that? All with at-risk children. And... I mean, the severe at risk. And so at the end of the day, they gave her the two most troubling, abusive, horrible cases possible. And they said to her, you have 90 minutes to prepare your argument. 90 minutes. She looked through both folders. She said, I don't need 90 minutes. I'm ready now. Well, the judge and everybody else were astonished. You're already ready? And it's interesting, by the way. When he is in it, he'll get you ready. Remember what the scripture says, in that moment, he'll tell you what you're supposed to say. And so all of a sudden, she begins to speak. Well, needless to say, they hire her on the spot. Today, today, 200 of the most at-risk children in Newark, New Jersey, are under her personal care. 
200. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. When it comes to the Red Sea of our lives, those moments when we say, you know what, I got to, I got to conquer fear, I got to move forward. That is where we define who we are. That's why we as a church have a commitment that begins right here to impact. And I'll talk more about that at the end of the service. But what I want you to see today is this. As you think about what we just watched on video, the missing link, listen, the missing link to every child's heart is not just care and not just foster care, but it's foster care under the auspices of the God who created them. And when you get that link put in there, something begins to happen in an amazing and powerful way. Well, needless to say, my luncheon with this gentleman was quite astonishing because what he did was he reminded me that his daughter had enough faith to believe exactly what God would do with her. I want to ask you a question today. Do you have enough faith to believe that whatever he wants to do, exactly he could do in your life? Or do you let fear get in the way of that? Today we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 11. As you turn there, you've turned to a very familiar passage. Obviously, it's in Hebrews 11 that we discover what faith is all about. It's in this place where all of a sudden, the writer of Hebrews brings to light a man named Moses. And what I want you to see today is this. Here is a story where two parents' conviction led to the most amazing and powerful story that we and I could ever read. Moses' story begins with Amram and Jochebed saying, this child will live, not die. And so as you look at it, beginning in verse 23, notice what the scripture said. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy, <clears throat> excuse me, to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Don't miss that line. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who touched the firstborn would not touch them. Don't miss that. Exodus 11, the last plague. Verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. When you read this, you realize that all of a sudden, here, here's the story that really deals with standing on the edge of tomorrow. In other words, the mother and father had to say, what will the future be like for my child? The people who were watching this all had to think through, how does this all fit in? And today we stand on the edge of tomorrow as it relates to a culture, as it relates to our own personal lives, as it relates to the things that we encounter. We're right on the edge of dealing with what it is that's going to de derive our entire, our entire lives. It's going to define who we are, who we, what we stand for, what we believe. And so as a result, you can imagine these parents face great pressure. I mean, the, the reality is, Pharaoh said, wipe them all out. And I can imagine when they looked into the eyes of that little baby, the last thought they had was to let this little child be wiped out like all the others. You can imagine what the Nile River was like with the choice and order of Pharaoh. And as a result, they made a choice. And what I want you to see today is this. Our lives are defined one by one by the choices we make. If we choose to be pure, we find purpose. If we find purpose, we define priority. When we get priorities, we discover his plan. And what happens often is we miss the beginning of that entire process. Because watch this carefully. 
Without purity, you can't find purpose. And so if a person allows sin to invade their direction, allows sin to steal their joy, allows sin to displace them away from God's purpose, they end up missing the best of life. So today, as you think about it, as you stand on the edge of tomorrow, I want you to ponder a couple questions that really will be reflective of everything that we look at. Because when you start thinking about this, when you begin to all of a sudden process, what do you do when you stand on the edge of tomorrow? In other words, when it's all of a sudden you. Yesterday, I had the privilege of hanging out with our youngest grandchild for a little while. This week has been a joy because I've got to be around all the grandkids at different times. And, and uh, you know, he's just three months old. He doesn't say anything. He do, well, he does say things. I mean, he does say, ooh, ah, ooh. But, you know, I'm, I'm trying to translate. Normally it's saying, Gramps, I love you. I understand that part of his communication. But the truth is he doesn't say anything other than if he is hungry. And it's interesting. He has an expression. When he finishes his bottle, he's never satisfied. He always cries for a moment because he's thinking there's got to be more. Now watch this for a second. Isn't that how we are? We get blessed greatly. And then we start crying because we didn't get it. We want a little bit more. And I, it, when I sat there looking at him yesterday, I was with him for a while by myself, which, you know, is uh, I'm up for the challenge. And so we're hanging out. And, uh, you know, I realized that, you know, that, that we're going to have a lot of time to be able to bond together. And so we're, we're interacting. And, and at one moment, he just kind of just lets out a little whimper. I said, now, Levi, this is Gramp time. We don't do that. And he looked at me with the biggest smile. You know, he's like, and he gave me this big smile. You know, what you discover is this. He's headed towards the edge of tomorrow. Last night, as the day finished, my wife handed me a stack of photos. She said, I think you might like these. And they were, there were five photos of my grandmother from almost 30 years ago. One with her standing behind, standing, standing behind my grandmother. One with me standing beside her. I know that her just sitting. And I got to thinking about those moments I would never want to replace because they were treasures. Can you imagine what Moses felt when after being pulled out of the basket by Pharaoh's daughter, that the very one who had birthed him into life would hold him and nurture him and bless him? What I want you to see today is this. Moses at that age didn't know what was coming around the corner, but God did. And what I want you to see today is this. The only thing that keeps you from walking into tomorrow the right way is fear. So to begin this thought by way of faith and understanding what faith is all about, because we're talking about living faith, the capacity to live out our faith the way God intended, I want to ask you about fear. Because when you think about this whole text, one thing you see absent from the entire story is Moses sitting around fearing and having some trepidation about what's going to transpire. So today I want to ask you when you think about your own journey of faith, and yet to process this in light of your whole life. What role does fear play in your life? In other words, do you let fear get in the best of you? You, you, you let it steal away some of who you are? It's interesting what fear does. Watch this. Fear always displace, displaces your direction so that you ultimately lose your devotion. And when you lose your devotion to God, watch this, you all of a sudden end up losing the determination to accomplish his purpose. And so what happens is, we have to be very careful not to allow fear to displace us because fear comes at us in different ways. It sneaks into our world in different ways. And what I want you to see today is this. When fear sneaks in, the only way to conquer it is with faith. 
I ran across a great definition of faith that I wanted to give you today because it says this, true biblical faith is obedience to God's word no matter what circumstances or consequences. I want you to imagine for a moment, you're sitting in church today and you stand on that very principle that this book, that this book will speak to your heart no matter what the circumstances or the consequence, you choose to obey what it is God's saying. I'll tell you what you'll discover. When you begin to reckon with life the way this works, when all of a sudden you begin to say, you know what, I've got to live that book. I've got to believe that book. I've got to rest my case in that book. Then all of a sudden something begins to happen inside of who you are. All of a sudden you realize, you know what, I can be obedient because I may have circumstances come at us. I may have issues or consequences as a result of my choice to obey. But something powerful happens when I choose to obey. Now think about it for a moment. Because when you start learn, living out faith, faith begins to do something inside of you. And when I think about faith, it does five distinctive things in each one of our lives. The first thing when you think about it, faith has the capacity to work in our lives in a way that all of a sudden it begins to engage us. We start saying, you know what, Lord, I can believe you for that. It engages our hearts, and as it engages us, it begins to empower us. In other words, all of a sudden, man, we get we got enough strength to say, you know what, I can trust you no matter what. It's interesting. I was, I was praying, as I told you, I had time with Levi. I was praying over my little grandson, and I was thinking about the world he faces and the power of faith in the midst of it, because one of the things my grandmother, my grandmother modeled was a faith that was pure. She had a second-grade education. And lots of times my grandmother was so uh, timid, she would not look at the camera. She would look away from a photo. And so I have these pictures of her looking away and looking down, and I think about the timidity of my sweet grandmother, but I think about the treasure of a woman who had enough wisdom to look into the eyes of a little boy from a home that was shaken from all kinds of challenges and all kinds of issues. She knew all the things that we faced. And yet she would still put her long bony fingers on my head and say, someday God will do great things with you. I can remember her words like they were yesterday. And looking at a picture reminded me again. And what I want you to see today, for every parent here, your responsibility to speak into your child's heart and life is not somebody else's duty. It is yours. You must do that. And the same thing with grandparents. Speak into hearts and lives. Because what happens when you start showing faith, it empowers. It empowers. I can't wait till the day comes when all my grandchildren come to know Jesus and are baptized and, and understand commitment. All those things are things I live for, things I cherish, things I believe in. But when you have faith, it engages you. It empowers you. But it also causes you to endure no matter what. Because some things come at you and you just fight on through them. You don't let them hold you back. When you start enduring, something else begins to happen because all of a sudden you get energized that you realize, I can make it through this. I can make it through this no matter what because I have an energy that comes from God. And when you finally arrive at true faith, what you'll discover is this, that God has something for you that is totally connected to his equipping of you. All right, so watch this for a second. If God's word, if my obedience to his word validates true faith and I all of a sudden begin to live out his word, what happens? Do I, what do I have as a tool for my life? I have his equipping. I have what it is he has for me. So you ask yourself the question, why did we get this story of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 29? Why, why was his story interjected into 
the great faith chapter of the Bible. It is because it helps us understand that fear should never have a place in the heart of somebody who is in love with God. And what I want you to see today is we all battle it on a day-to-day basis, conquering those things that come at us that are so fear-based. And so today we find ourselves in this passage, and what I want you to do is I want you to see, I want to divide our time by way of thought into two segments. The first one is I want you to see the foundation of faith. I want you to see what Hebrews says about that foundation, and then I want to translate that into application, watch this, at the Red Sea, all right? So what I want you to see today is two parallels, and, and, and please make note of this because it'll show you how your life is supposed to unfold. First of all, you build a foundation, then you get to the Red Sea, and you live out what it is you believe. All right? So as we look at that, we begin in Hebrews chapter 11, because it's here that we begin to see this foundation. And I want to show you five or six key things. First of all, look at verse 23, if you would, just for a moment. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's eating. The first thing you see here is this. The foundation for our journey is that the courageous parenting that Moses got to grow up with. I mean, here, is, here, are, here are courageous parents who said, this, we're going to do it God's way. Now, when you read this verse, you, you, you note a couple things really significant. One is the reference says that he was a beautiful child. But it says beyond his, the beautiful child, his parents were not afraid. And I'm going to tell you, I want to say this categorically to every parent, every grandparent in the day we live in. If you shrink back in fear in teaching your children the principles of Scripture, you open the door to a dilemma that is bigger than you can calculate. But if you choose to convey to your children the principles of Scripture, then something powerful will begin to happen inside of their journey of faith. Now, I want to show you one real quick thing, because when you read that, your first thought is, what made him beautiful? Look at Acts chapter 7, just for a moment. I want to just kind of, I want to parallel. And if we had more time, I would take you through a lot of different parallels, but I'm just going to take you to one besides what we're going to look at in Exodus. Look, if you would, in Acts chapter 7. Now, stay with me, by the way, because I'm, I'm trying to, I'm going to move you through pretty quickly the whole idea of what it means to have a foundation the way God works and what it means to exhibit Red Sea faith. In other words, to stand on the edge when Pharaoh is coming at you with all that he has. Which, by the way, you can't miss this thought. The adversary never comes at you except to kill, steal, and destroy. He never comes at you just to tease you. He never comes and puts something in front of you and says, well, this is an idea I want to throw at you. That's not how he works, all right? If you read the New Testament, you realize that. That's why Ephesians 6 is so significant for each one of our lives. But look at Acts chapter 7, verse 20. Notice what the scripture said. It was at this time that Moses was born, and he was lovely in the sight of God. And he was nurtured three months, three months, excuse me, he was nurtured three months in his father's home. Now, think about this. He wasn't just beautiful to his parents, he was beautiful to God. And I'm gonna tell you what you discover. Every little one created by God. They have a beauty that comes beyond and transcends beyond the parents to what God has. This week, I've had the privilege of, uh, the other night, I had the privilege, Friday night, of hanging out with not just my two granddaughters, but two uh, grandnieces. And uh, it was a sweet time. As soon as I got there, they looked at me and said, Gaga, we need to go show you our castle. Well, I thought, where they got a castle at? Well, the dining room had been converted. 
into a castle. And so they had blankets over the chairs. I mean, the kind of things you did when you were a kid. I mean, it took you back to another time. And so, and, and so I got there, and, you know, I'm 57, all right? And their first question is, come in our castle with us, which means I've got to climb into that floor and get down in that castle and hang out with them. And we sat there, and we interacted, and we conversed. And the whole time I'm thinking, what will my back be like when this is all over? Because this is a little more challenging than I think. But we were there, and we were conversing. And as I was looking in their eyes, those children, I realized that these treasured moments, these kids have been entrusted to parents who have to be courageous enough to guide them the right way, to guide them towards true faith. And I'm going to tell you what I discovered. The beauty of those children spoke to my heart because they have that creative mind that says, this is the world we can live in. And it's interesting because my, my granddaughter and my grandnieces, they're, they're all caught up in Frozen. They, 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 if you're not familiar with that, it means you're really old. And so, um, <laughs> because Frozen is the most productive thing Disney's done in its whole history. And so, the two little grandnieces started freezing me. And if you're familiar with that, one of the, one of the sisters can freeze you. I'm going to stick your hand out, freeze. So I, I, I would stop whatever I was doing. Like, I, I just freeze. And my granddaughter wanted nothing to do with me being frozen. And so she starts screaming, no, 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 don't freeze him. And I got to watching her because, you know, it's interesting. Even as a three-year-old, she wants to make sure her gramps are doing okay. And my grandnieces, they didn't worry about that because, you know, they overruled her completely because they kept freezing me. And here's what I want you to see. Watch this. What freezes us the most? Fear. And who puts their hand out and throws fear at us? The adversary. So here's what I want you to see. If fear has frozen you, get the courage to conquer your fear. If Amram and Jochebed could do it, you can too. All right? Now let's look on though. Verse 24, Hebrews chapter 11. We're building a foundation here. Verses 24 and 25. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure Ill, Ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Watch this. Here is a guy who had everything going for him, but he had a conviction. He had a conviction. And what I want you to see is this. When you have a foundation that is based in faith, you have convictions beyond comfort. Because here's what he said. I don't care if Pharaoh opens the entire treasury to me. I still hear the voice of my mom. Don't you know that his mom kept speaking into his world? This is what you need to know. How could he have ever been so effective as an adult? And what I want you to see today is this. What you and I need by way of foundation and convictions about things. We need to believe by way of conviction of what it is that God has for it. And watch this. When you begin to shift your convictions into what somebody else thinks, somebody else thinks instead of what God thinks, you're in big trouble. And we live in a day where we're saturated with messages. This is okay. This is okay. This is okay. This is okay. Listen carefully. The only thing is okay is what's validated in God's word. If it's not in his word, you can't get a conviction to stand on. And what we're seeing is this shifting sand of everybody wanting to be okay. Listen, we're all messed up by sin. We're all challenged to encounter faith. What faith does, it gives us a conviction. Say, you know what, I can trust him no matter what. And for these parents and for Moses, Moses said, you know what, I'm going to live it out the way God intended. Look on to verse 26. 
Let's just see this. I want you to see the foundation of what makes life work well. Verse 26, considering the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. When you look at that, he had a confidence, watch this, in the true riches of God. He had a confidence in what it was that God could do for him. I want you to look at carefully at, at the very first word of verse, of, chapter, of verse 26. It says considering. And when you look at that particular word, it was not a glancing thought. It's a product of deep evaluation. In other words, here's what Moses did. He stopped long enough to think through it very, very carefully. And here's what I want you to see regarding your faith. You should think through it very carefully to understand what you stand on, the underpinnings of your convictions, the confidence that you have in what it is God has for you. Because here's what Moses knew. Moses knew what God had for him money could not buy. And what I want you to see today is this. Money can't buy your peace. Money can't buy your joy. Money can't buy you enough love to fill up your cup. Money can't give you a confidence to face issues. Money can't do any of those things. And what happened with Moses, he realized something. I could have everything Pharaoh gave me and still miss the one thing I needed the most. And that is the hope, the blessed hope of knowing I'm in obedience to God. Look on note, verse 27. Notice what happened. We're building a foundation here. And in verse 27, you notice what happened. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Watch this. Looking, watch this, looking beyond fear, he saw God. And what I want you to see today is this. When you look beyond your momentary fear, you can find one watching over you that does never shake, never flinches, never misses what it is he has for you. And I'm going to tell you what I've discovered is when somebody comes to the place where they don't let fear define their direction, they end up with the most amazing life. And so if you're here, what really happened is Moses had a pointed focus. It was a laser focus that said, I am not, we're, I'm not worried about what Pharaoh can do. Let me ask you this. Was there military advantage? Yes. Was there, was there all kinds of psychological advantage? Yes. You're going to see that in a moment. You're going to see that. Even the guy representing the very essence of God's best for their life, the people said, you know what? I think you messed us up. We should have go back to Egypt. And how could you ever say that? It's because your focus got on your enemy instead of your victory. And when you and I see Jesus as the answer to our problem, we find victory. We don't find defeat. So if you're here overwhelmed by circumstances, realize something. Look beyond your fear. Look beyond what it is you have that's been causing you to be afraid and see what he does. One more, a couple more things I want you to see. Verse 28. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. Now when you're familiar with this, you realize in Exodus 11, the tenth and final plague comes down on the people who have chosen to rebel. Which, by the way, just so you'll always realize this, there's always consequence to rebellion. Always. And so they rebelled against God's people. A plague came on them, but God showed a way. And that was, you sprinkle the blood over the doorpost, those children will be protected and watched over. And I'm going to tell you, we need more homes. We need more homes where the blood of Jesus protects that house. Because, amen, if we have his blood at work in our homes, what happens is 
no entrance is given to the adversary to come running into our world and stealing away our children, stealing away our direction, stealing away our hope. And I tell you what we discovered, and you got to remember this, some of you need to pray over your computer and the smartphones and the other technology and the iPads we put into our home because sometimes that's the very tool the adversary uses to capture a child away into some kind of world that's bigger than they are. And then all of a sudden, they go, they go ballistic. And I would tell every parent here, if your child has a smartphone, your child has an iPad, your child has a computer, turn it on every once in a while yourself and see what it said. If you don't have their passwords, find them. Because the reality is that if they are operating technology, you gave them, you own it. And you ought to be wise and say, you know what? You are not going to hide behind an electronic gadget and miss the very essence of what your faith could be. And what I'm saying to you is this. You and I need to be careful. When you look at this, very, this concept, this text, and you look at what Moses was trying to get across, what protected those who were going to live? It was the blood of the Lamb. And I'm going to tell you, you want to protect your children? You better plead the blood of Jesus over your child and ask God to protect them, watch over them, and guide them. Because I'm going to tell you, you discover there's something about the power of the blood that transcends anything you and I could create. We could have the perfect parenting rules. We could have all the rules. Okay, you can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. And the reality is, all those rules, watch this, if they're not guided by somebody who lives by faith, they can be conquered. Because the child creates an atmosphere of fear that makes you think, well, if they don't have their technology, if they're not able to text somebody, if they're not able to communicate with somebody, hey, guess what? You and I grew up without any of that, and we actually grew up normal. So we don't have to believe, or at least uh, quasi-normal. The the reality is that that you and I, you and I have, we live in a day. We live in a day where the only way we can make a call was to get on a line phone and say, hey, guess what? I want to ask you a question. I want you to be really honest. Has all this technology done as much as we think? I mean, it's made us be more connected, and yet what we're discovering is that most people can't even go to sleep at night without checking their phone one more time, and they check it during the night. 94% of people in our land are addicted to their technology, so much so that if their phone is taken for a moment, they go into an absolute phobia. Can you imagine that? I'm going to ask you a question. What would happen if, if you came in the doors of church and said, okay, put your phone in here. We had a bucket. We got all your phones. You know what, for some of you, you go into spastic, you, you would all of a sudden, you would spastically react and, I can't do it. Because so-and-so might text me, my dream boyfriend, forget he's a nightmare, he's not a dream. <laughs> if he texts you during church, there's something wrong with his brain. Bring him to church and we'll pray over his brain and he won't text you anymore. You hear that, girls? Huh? That's for all of our teenagers, so they realize where that texting really works and doesn't. I'll tell you something else just so you'll know. This generation, they have code words on that texting. you got to know what those code words are because they're not our words. They're little bitty letters all put together. And you got to make sure. Every once in a while, I'll get a text somebody, they, they realize they text the wrong person. I'll spend 30 minutes thinking, now, what does that mean? And, and you wouldn't believe how fast that blows back from that person. Whoops, I didn't mean to write you. And I'll write back, what does that mean? Oh, never mind. <laughs> never mind means they just, they just bit off more than they can chew. And what I want you to see today is this. When you look at this text, here are people protected by God. One final thing I want you to see, and I want you to move, move forward, because I've already ruined my relationship with all the teenagers in the church, but that's all right. They'll come back to me and love me later. Look if you would. Verse 29, 
By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. I want you to imagine for a second, when they get to the edge of the sea, Moses leads them to the impossible. I'm going to tell you what. If you look back at verse 11, I mean verse 6 of chapter 11, look at it with me just one more second, one second. Look at it. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I want you to see this. When God leads you to the impossible, he'll carry you all the way through it. And I'm going to give you an illustration of that that came out of that same luncheon on Thursday. I'm sitting visiting with my friend. He begins to tell me about a young man. A young man who gets educated in New York but has a heart for his land and his people. And that education... Which, by the way, if you get an education without inspiration, the only thing you have is a degree. But if you have an education inspiration, you can change the world. And what I want you to see today, lots of people have papers on walls. What I'm looking for is paper in people's hearts that causes them to be inspired to accomplish their task. And so all of a sudden, he begins to tell me the story about this gentleman. No name to be called. No name to be called, but he has this burden. He begins to believe that the only answer for his people is for Jesus to be revealed to them. And so he gets his equipping, and he gets his equipping in a unique way. Every time he studies the Bible, he looks for a story. And so he finds himself in Afghanistan. And he begins to tell stories. Well, every time he tells this story, people will go, that's the most amazing story I've ever heard. Where did you get that at? How did you ever hear that story? And he said, well, let me tell you about it. Last year... Last year, he baptized 70 people into Jesus and in faith in Christ as a testimony of their faith in Christ. 70 people. And I said, well, man, how'd you, how'd he baptize? He said, well, it's kind of interesting because he does believe in immersion, but he has no baptistry, obviously. So he has this big bucket. And when they come to faith, he takes this bucket and he just dumps it on top of it. By the way, much better ice bucket challenge than you can imagine. Uh, because it's not frigid water. It's just water testifying to the reality of what God has done. So he began, to tell me, he began to tell me more of the story. And this gentleman also has a burden for a country right next door. You can figure out what country that is. And he begins to have a burden for it, so he begins to go there as well. And, in fact, you read in the news last year where one, one bombing killed 127 believers at one time gathered in one place. He was in the room. He was in the room, but lived through it. And as a result of living through it, he was telling and, sh and sharing, and an 80-year-old man came up to him and said, man, i got to know what it is. These stories you're telling, what you're about, you've got to help me understand the basis of what you, where you're coming from. And he looked at him and said, man, you're... And he began to think, is he serious? He's 80 years old. Is he going to get this? And he and began to tell him a bit. He said, you know, I'm going to tell, tell you what you do. He looked at this 80-year-old man. He said, look, you go back to your village. You think about it overnight. If you're serious about it, come back tomorrow. The next morning, he shows up with 300 people. 300. And the young man who obviously followed Jesus begins to engage. And, and he asked all of them, why are you here? That 80-year-old woke us all up, told us to get out of bed, get our clothes on. We're going to go hear the most amazing story we'll ever hear. 300 people came to Jesus in a country. I mean, think about that. Why? Because an 80-year-old man 
heard the reality of the story. And here's what I want you to see. Our story is the most remarkable story of transformation you can imagine. If you sat in a mug and muffin, as my wife shared me what happened yesterday, and listened to those from another country talk about the difficulty people face in certain land, I'll tell you what you discover. We have the unsearchable riches of an amazing story that rests on the story of Jesus. All we have to do is tell it. And let me tell you this. You should not be afraid to tell the story that changes people's lives forever. If that guy can do it there, we can do it here. And it's amazing what he said. When interacting, when interacting with this professor and talking to him, he asked him, do you not ever be, are you never afraid? And he looked at me and said, why would I be afraid? Why would I be afraid? He said, all you got to do is be smart. And I thought to myself, you know what you're saying? You don't have to let fear rule. You just have to be smart. Which means you don't have to go stand out here at the corner of Medlock and North Petrie and say, repent or burn. I mean, you can be smarter than that. You can actually talk to somebody who's looking for an answer and help them know that Jesus is the answer. Because we're the only story some people will ever read. And we've got to start writing a better story. We've got to start writing a better focus. Easter's coming. And on Easter, we need to be thinking about who could we write this story to? Who could we invite into our world? So, you know what? I want you to experience what Easter is all about. Because Easter is the culmination of the story. The cross defines our future. It's our identifying mark. But the empty grave is what empowers us to live effectively. So look if you would. Exodus chapter 14. Look if you would, beginning in chapter 13, just for a second, verse 17. Now when people had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistine even though it was near, was near, for God said the people might change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. Even God knew they were going to have fear. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the lands of Egypt. You do have to ask yourself the question, what kind of martial array did they have when they were all slaves? Look on, verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Succoth, and they camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And here we begin in, in, in chapter 14. And what I want you to see is Red Sea faith. And I'm going to cover it in the text as it opened up. Verses 1 through 4. Look at it first. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before this place between Megdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of this place opposite by the sea. Now, I didn't call those names out because I would butcher them in our language, all right? So I'm not using them. Verse 3, for Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after them. I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, and they did so. You can't miss that line. They did so. Here's what first Red Sea principle. Always operate in tune with God because his plan's always better than yours. Operate in tune with God. Verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart towards the people, and they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel Go from serving us. Now, I want you to think about this a minute. This is one of those moments where all of a sudden Pharaoh goes, you got to be kidding. We just gave up thousands of workers. We ushered them out of our world. 
And he wakes up and goes, you know what? We've got to rethink really through this. What, what have we done? Verse 6, so he made his chariot ready, took his people with him. And he took 600 select chariots and all, watch this, all the other chariots of Egypt with officers, with officers over all of them. And then what happened? The Lord sweeps in, hardens the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly, operating in tune with God. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horse and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea in those two places in front of this place. And Pharaoh, verse 10, drew near. The sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons, watch this, so the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. What I want you to see is this. What happens? Fear sneaks into their world. And they start saying, man, what, what, what are we going to do? They start crying out. Watch it. Their confidence disappeared because they didn't have a conviction that their faith would carry them through it. They misunderstood who God is. Here's what I want you to see. When it comes to Red Sea faith, position your life. Watch this. Position your life to experience his plan, not yours. Get in the right position. Because when you get in the right position, you begin to experience exactly what God intended. So watch this. You operate in tune, then you get in the right place. Look on. Verse 11. Then, then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, I want you to imagine, if you're Moses, you got to sit there going, you people are driving me crazy. Now, can you imagine? I mean, every time something didn't add up the way they wanted to, they start whining. I'm going to tell you what you discover. It's easy to whine and hard to trust. And we as a people, I want you to see this as a church. We as a people, we are not people who whine. If you whine, don't come to my office. Because I'm not looking for a bunch of whiners. I'm looking for people with trust. I'm looking for people who say, you know what? I'm going to follow God's best for my life. And all of a sudden, they start saying, they'd been better. We'd have died back there. I want to ask you a question. Was there a single aspect of life living in Egypt that was good? No. No. But what happened? Doubt and fear took the place of direction and faith, and they screwed up their lives for a moment. But you know what the difference was? They had a strong leader. And I'm going to tell you what you have in this church. You've got pastors and others who are strong leaders. If you, if you think this pastor is going to, to, to yield to the whim of a culture that is more screwed up than I can count, you don't know me very well. Because I'm going to tell you what you're going to discover. When it comes to this book, I'm going to live it to the last breath. And we as a people, I'm going to tell you, we don't have to sit around whining about somebody making an unwise choice. We need to line up and follow the right choice. Don't live in fear. And so all of a sudden here... Moses comes to a place where you and I arrive as well. That is, we always need to remember who fights for you, who fights with you. You always got to remember that because God's with you. Nothing's going to come at you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Isaiah 56. There, there, you don't have to get all caught up thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get wiped out with this. No, you're not. You're going to be stronger as a result of it. No weapon. Look on, no. Look what happened. Verse 13. But Moses said to the people do not fear do not fear 
Which, by the way, let me just say that I'm going to add one more tidbit. takes extra 30 seconds. The quickest pathway to missing God is distorting your reality by allowing fear to rule. All right? When fear rules, you distort your reality. And what happened to the people of God as they were being led out is their reality got distorted. And when it got distorted, they got confused. And when they got confused, that confounding confusion said, let us die in Egypt. We'd rather be servants. And what, that, and what, what they were really saying was we'd give up our hope. So don't distort your reality. In other words, you may, be looking, you may be looking for a job, and you've interviewed 14 times. And every one of them, no, 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 no. Then all of a sudden, you feel a fresh wind blowing over you, and it's not connected to your interview. It's connected to the guy who guides the interviewer. And all of a sudden, you find peace. What you got to do is make sure you position yourself the right way, that you operate in tune with God as you do that. And as a result, you start remembering who fights for you. And look on and watch what happened. Don't fear. Stand by. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians which, whom, whom you have seen today, you will never see them again. You ought to underline that because here's what you remember. When you conquer something that used to, hold of, used to take hold of you, it never has to be arriving again. In other words, if you, if you have fear, and all of a sudden you say, what, I'm going to trust in the Lord, you set it aside. He said, he said, you're never going to see these people again. Now, when you, actually think about it for a second. Did they have any idea how amazing God's plan was? No. You don't either. I don't either. But here's what I do know. It always takes one step into the sea to prove your faith. One step. And then what happens? Look at verse 14. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. You ever notice what fear makes you do? Makes you loud, doesn't it, at times? Lord, why? Lord, how? Lord, when? And all of a sudden, here is that Red Sea faith. And I want you to see this. Stay quiet. Watch this. Stay quiet. And as you are quiet, you get quiet enough to listen and to obey and to believe. I'm going to tell you, when you get there, your life changes forever. And I realize this is the longest sermon I've preached in a long time. But I couldn't stop till we got to that point where you listen, you obey, and you believe. Because in this very room are some who need to step into the Red Sea of obedience. And my question to you is this. How will you face tomorrow? If you're my acquaintance and story from Afghanistan, you'll wake up tomorrow morning with the same faith you had that day. If you're defending a child in Newark, New Jersey, you will wake up with a desire for that child to have hope. And that's why we come to his house on this day knowing we want hope. So if you're here today and you realize God's speaking to you, don't ignore the very still small voice that speaks to your heart. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the amazing word. It speaks to our lives, takes us to the edge of tomorrow, and helps us realize that at every tomorrow there is a faithful God today who watches over our steps, who governs the affairs of our lives. And Lord, today we sang songs that remind us that whether we're in the cross or whether we're looking at our God or whether we're blessing your name or whether we're realizing it forever, you are true. All those songs brought us to this very distinct passage of Scripture that Moses, rather than settling for the riches of Egypt, was looking for something that was unseen. And today we look at what is unseen except for what you see. And Lord, there in this room, there are those who need to say yes to your plan, yes to your will for their life. 
And I pray, Lord, you'd speak to them in an amazing and powerful way. Move in this service. Bless the lives of people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.